We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yeah, I don't know how long we've been playing that intro. You need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. And for a long time now, it's been the, listening to the Iron Fist and a bunch of other characters, but not the Velvet Glove. And I'm pleased to say, dear listener, that returning to the fold, the prodigal son himself, Scott the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, Scott. Good evening, Trevor. Good evening, Joe. Good evening, everyone. How are we all tonight? Yes, before we get on to your circumstances, Joe, the tech guy, <laughs> reliable as ever, is here again. Thank you, Joe. No worries. Well, what's your story, Scott? I mean, we've been waiting for you to get NBN and you finally got it. Yeah, well I got NBN because I got NBN because I moved down to Rockhampton, actually. So I'm now living in Rockhampton mm-hmm. and it is probably still the armpit of Queensland, which I think is what you've described it as before, Trevor. It's not, you know, it could be worse. There are mm. worse places for sure, but it's it's not too bad. I've got a flat and everything up here and I'm not very far away from work and it's really good. The position was that, yeah, the last job didn't work out, so I've moved down to Rockhampton. So I'm Fair enough. Bit, I'm a little bit closer to the better half. We see each other yes. twice a month now rather than only once a month, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Well, that's a shame it didn't work out, but at least now you've got NBN and you can be on the podcast yeah. again. So that's <laughs> one of the silver linings to the whole thing. So it is on fibre to the node. Right. Very good. Mm. So it's working perfectly and we're up and running again as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. Right. We're going to talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Scott, of course, you've been listening to the podcast I religiously. Have. So mm-hmm. you've been hearing my views about China and America and other things, and I gather you've got stuff that you want to complain about. But I don't really want to complain about it. Oh, I disagree it's... with. Oh. We'll get on to that. We'll get on to the yeah, disagreements. We'll, we'll get on to the disagreements later. Yeah. yeah. So, dear listener, if you're in the chat room, say hello. Bronwyn's there. Good on you, Bronwyn. And Alison is there as well. Good on you, Alison, making your way into the Courier Mail in an article, which was good to yeah, see. you did very well, Alison. Thank you very much for that. That yes. was really good. Another article about religious instruction. Looks like there's a reporter there at the Courier Mail who's interested in the topic, so that'll be good. Hopefully we'll put a bit of pressure on Grace Grace about that. So, all right, dear listener, we've got a bunch of topics. We're going to be talking about Lydia Thorpe. More balloons have been shot down, Chinese spy cameras, Seymour Hirsch and Nord Stream. You can imagine my delight when that story came out. <laughs> Surely when you saw that story, dear listener, you would have thought to yourself, Trevor's going to enjoy that. And you're right. I did enjoy it. I'm still enjoying it. And a few other topics. If you have got an app that shows chapters, have a look. It'll show you the topics and the little timeline so you can jump and skip around and go to different chapters if you want to. Also, a couple of things. The the podcast feed that you're getting, you are going to start seeing the IFVG Evergreen episodes start coming through there. So there's going to be a separate podcast called IFVG Evergreen, but which will get sort of topics that are more international and more evergreen. 
but you're going to see them on subscribing the way you are at the moment as well. A couple of other things on the website, there's a newsletter you can subscribe to and you'll get basically the articles that I find during the week and other stuff. So oh, there's other admin stuff. I'll leave it to later. Scott, let's jump in on Lydia Thorpe, who was the, the Greens spokesperson for Indigenous Matters, and she resigned from the Greens because she wasn't necessarily happy with... The Greens were obviously wanting to head to a position where they supported the voice, and she wasn't sure she wanted to do that. She was more interested in being sure that sovereignty wouldn't be ceded in this process. And so she had an uncomfortable relationship with the Greens policy and ended up leaving, probably to everybody's relief. What did you think of that, Scott? It's one of those rare occasions that I think to myself I can actually understand where the Greens are coming from because they've actually they haven't actually said it out loud, but apparently they've said it behind closed doors that they ought to get their seat back, but they can't because the seat belongs to her, not to the Greens. Now, she was elected on, I don't know how many votes or anything like that, but she didn't get very many for herself as an individual. She got them because she was running under the Greens band. I can tell you, Scott. Yeah, go go for it. Individually, so dear listener, I'll just interrupt with a bit of background on this one, Scott, is, of Mm -hmm. course, the Constitution establishes the mechanism by which we elect senators and speaks only of candidates, doesn't mention political parties. We have electoral laws that give two options. You can vote above the line for a party or below the line for an individual candidate. And in Lydia Thorpe's case, there were 40,174 personal votes below the line. Meanwhile, above the line was (laughs) 529,000. So according to this article from Michael Bradley in Crikey, simply she's in the Senate because her party got the votes that put her there. Yeah, and that's one of those things. And there was also another article I was listening to on the New Daily podcast. No, not the New Daily podcast, the Democracy Sausage podcast. And they were saying that that was where the conversation first started about the whole thing. It belong, the seat belongs to the party, not the individual. So that was the whole argument was where it was birthed there. And they were saying that um, it was quite uncomfortable for them and that type of thing. They did everything they could to try and keep her in the tent. But eventually she said no bugger it, I'm out of there. And she has apparently come back and said that she will vote with the Greens on environmental matters or matters of climate. So she didn't actually go to the environmental matters. She said matters of climate. And that was that was about all that she was offering the Greens. Mm. So that means that the Labor Party still got to convince the Greens to support them on the environment, on the, on the climate matters. And they've also get a pocock over the line too, which shouldn't be too hard. So that's not too bad for the for the Labor Party. Do you think that Lydia Thorpe is actually going to side with the coalition? No, I don't. I don't think that she's going to move that far to the right or anything like that. It seems to me that she was uncomfortable in the Greens because they weren't left-wing enough for her. So on Left-wing on Indigenous issues. Yes, absolutely. Mm. You know, and that is the thing that I think is going to turn around and bite her in the backside because she has said the quiet part out loud. She has mentioned sovereignty. She hasn't actually said what sovereignty means or anything else. She said that's that's what she wants is sovereignty. 
She hasn't explained what that's going to mean for us. Not, what's not enough details. Is it not enough I, detail. Is that what I you're saying, Scott? I thought no, she said she wants treaty. Yeah, mm. no, she wants a treaty. But, you know, this is the other thing. You know, everyone out there, you can throw rocks at me and call me a racist if you like oh, because. Yeah. Get, get in line. Yeah. <laughs> you can all call all three of us racists if you want to. But, you know, it's one of those things. I just don't see how the hell you're going to negotiate a treaty with a group of people that are not under any sort of sovereignty. They have lost their sovereignty. Their sovereignty was pinched when the British came and stole their country from them. You know, there's no point dressing it up, calling it colonisation or anything else. Their country was stolen from them. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was where they lost their sovereignty was when the British came and pinched it from them. So a bit like the Chinese in Taiwan. No, I should just give up. Go, no, is, we're not going it, to go there. It's been decided... <laughs> So just don't reopen that can of worms. That's what you're saying, isn't it? No, it's not what I'm saying. It's, it is I'm saying that, you know, they have lost their sovereignty a long time ago. They haven't replaced it with anything. So who the hell are we going to negotiate a treaty with? Mm. Yeah, you well, know. there you go. Bromman's got a... Yeah, Allow me to play devil's advocate. But, and thank mm-hmm. you, Bronwyn. New Zealand managed to negotiate a treaty with their Indigenous people. Scott. When? Their, their Indigenous people were represented by a king or queen or something like that. So they had someone they could negotiate with. We don't have anyone like that over here. We've got a group of people that are tribes that, you know, they are all from the same Indigenous background. They don't all speak the same language as they do, and as the Maoris do speak their own language. You know, they've got different languages for different parts of the country. So, who the bloody hell are we going to negotiate with? And then, yeah, I'm against a treaty myself, but the reasons you're giving are not the best ones I've heard. I have to say, fair enough. Because what you seem to be saying is is that if there was a king or queen around, that would be quite useful. And it would have been, and and would be legit, would be legitimate. Someone, right. Or an elected leader. Sorry? Even a democratically elected leader. Yes, exactly. If you had someone that was elected or someone that was born born to be in that lead, you have someone that you could negotiate with. Right. You've got no one like that. What if you've got a culture that doesn't have leaders, that just has has an elder group and doesn't have a leader? Like... You're, you're imposing no, a Western no system prob- of that, negotiation that, that on is people no who may not. At all, but then, well, then they would can... say, "Well, we've got this group, and we've we we are going to amalgamate okay. all these people." No the words described by Marcia Langton in her mm-hmm. in her, her. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, by the way. Yeah, but, no worries at all. But you know, if you I, can if you can get a group of people together like that to actually yeah. be a well, haven't they done representative that? body? Then you've got someone who we can talk to. Isn't isn't that what that was it? Macaraca or what was it? No, was that statement that called? That was the Macarata Commission. Yeah, which isn't I that was something to do with truth telling, wasn't it? Yeah, but isn't isn't that and and the Marcia Langton document and all that really just an amalgamation of the tribal elders saying what they want? Okay, I haven't read that. anything Marcia all Langton the, has written. Or the written. bark treaty or whatever sorry, it's called. I'm, right. Right. I'm very sorry. I haven't read anything Marcia Langton has written, so I am very mm-hmm. ignorant on that, so I can't comment. There we go. Bromman, I beat you to it. See, Bromman just chipped in. She was typing. She wrote, you might be able to negotiate with an elected group. What shall we call it? Oh, I, how about, oh, I don't know, a voice? <laughs> well, you can call it that. Just just don't enshrine it in the Constitution. 
Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Infr- no, but see, that, that's that's the whole point. Okay, if we could go into the voice now. Yeah, well, obviously we're heading down a rabbit hole okay. here now. Well, so well, like, this is voice... a good reintroduction. This is a good reintroduction of the velvet glove. Into yeah, exactly. Because I just don't, I don't I don't follow your I don't follow my anything script. you've got written down. Exactly. I no. just go my own way. Yeah. The voice, the voice in itself. I don't have a problem with it going in the constitution because that will that will that will stop the Tories ever destroying ATSIC again. You know, which is what the Tories did. They taught, they came into office and they they stripped away ASIC and stripped its funding and got rid of it. Mm-hmm. Now that was ATSIC had its own problems, but it was very brutal what the coalition government did then. They just tore it down and threw it out and didn't replace it with anything. This way, you're never going to be able to do that because it's in the constitution. So you've got to get a you've got to get the majority of votes in the majority of states to actually get rid of it. So that's not a problem. Putting it in the constitution doesn't worry me. Mm-hmm. Where I'm headed with the voice thing right now is that I was very much yes, very much in favour of it. Now I'm not so sure. And, and Lydia Thorpe is partly behind your yes, brief, partly your recent hesitation. Because yes. of the sovereignty issue. Well, the, the sovereignty thing, you know, she won't explain what sovereignty actually means and what's actually, what this is actually going to cost us. It is going to be very expensive if you want to compensate them for past crimes. Mm. It would be extraordinarily expensive to compensate them mm. for that type of thing. Mm. Now, do you then think that we should ignore that? No, I don't. I do believe that there should be some sort of, like I think it's called the Macarada Commission. That's where they were going to sit there and they were going to tell the truth about what happened. And I have absolutely no problem with that because to the best of my knowledge, none of my forebears were involved in that. If they were, I am not. I do not believe in intergenerational guilt or anything else. So I do not believe that it was passed down to me through any sort of genetics or anything like that. So I've got Mm -hmm. no problem with that. I do believe that we do have to have that sort of conversation, a very frank conversation with with everyone in the country so that everyone understands what was done, who did what, and who did to whom. And I think that is a very good thing to do. I also don't have a problem with the War Memorial going to have some sort of uh, what's it called? The uh, the displays from the frontier wars. I think they are mm-hmm. a very good idea that we actually end up going there. We can start having that conversation with the population so that we understand what was done. Now, then I don't know where you then go from that. Do you allow that sort of thing? You know, when you when you start saying the big C word, then it gets very expensive. What's the big C word? Compensation. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> That's not the other C word. Okay. No, there is another C word which I won't use, but you know. Cancer. Yeah. Sorry. Cancer. Yeah, what is it? That's usually the big C. So so let me get it straight. At this stage, if there was a vote tomorrow, I would probably vote. I would probably vote yes by tomorrow. If if I had to make if I had to make a choice tomorrow, I'd vote yes. But I do understand what you're saying about it. I do understand. You know, you were saying that it, you think it's racist because it gives mm. it gives people inherited rights. I agree with you. Mm. It does mm. give people inherited rights. Well, and also mm. it separates people by skin colour. It does, mm. for sure. And even then, you need, at what stage mm. do you then say, 
you know, at, at what stage do you then say, you know, your 15% Aborigine background doesn't wipe out the other 85% of your background? Mm, you it's know, tricky. It is extraordinarily tricky. I mean, at what stage do you actually say, <laughs> you're not black enough? Mm. You know, and that is a very difficult thing for anyone to actually say. Mm. And it does make me sound terribly racist by saying it. You know, now I'm not, I don't consider myself racist. Mm. You know, now if you were to really sit down and have a conversation with me, I'm no doubt someone would be able to pull something apart and say, oh, you're racist. Well, maybe I am, but I don't consider myself to be racist. It's one thing that, uh, it's one thing that I don't know. It's just a very difficult thing that we're going to have to come across. We're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with as a country. And that is why I believe that we're better off not ignoring what happened, but if we can somehow move forward as a country with our eyes on the future rather than always looking in the rearview mirror, I think that would be better. Mm. Yes, well, you know, personally I find it a divisive issue because discussions like this always end up in them and us. Yeah, and I agree. It's, it encourages a division based on skin colour and categorising of people based on skin colour. And really the problem is a class problem and that's how these things should be addressed. And it should be, are you oppressed and in what way? And I don't care what your skin colour is. That's the important part because ultimately there's some very successful Indigenous people around um, and, Jonathan and, and there are some white people around who are doing it really tough. And mm. for me, it's about class is the issue. And it's a strange approach that we have to some of these things. Like I keep thinking of the football where we have NRL games of blacks versus whites. Mm. And I think if you looked at America and said, let's have an NBA game or a, or a, or a, or a football match. Mm. Where, you have an NBA have, game where, like versus whites? Well, could you, could you rustle up enough whites? But exactly. The idea of a blacks versus whites sporting encounter in the US. It's laughable. Like, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. They'd go, what? That's not bringing people together. Mm. And yet that's what we're doing here. These, these things are not bringing people together. Yeah. host of reasons like that. There will be an episode, dear listener. This is all just little teasers because <laughs> there will be an episode which will be the definitive will every be single argument. down yep. argument. That's it. The full... I think we should have Bronwyn involved with that because, yeah. um, you know, because she said, no, the voice will simply be a group representing Indigenous people with which the government can consult when developing legislation that affects Indigenous people. Yes. Yes. Okay, fair enough. But, Bronwyn, you know, one of the areas of the law that I have a reasonable understanding of is the Income Tax Act. Now, the Income Tax Act is is set up by the Commonwealth Government and it doesn't make any reference to indigeneity or not. So would they have to consult that? Would they have to consult with this group of people because that legislation would affect Indigenous people? Yeah, I don't know. 
if if it disproportionately affects indigenous people by taxing something or not giving a a, a grant for something that would majoritatively affect indigenous people then yes you would be consulting on that hmm. this is like the critical legal theory where okay you pass a law that is particularly harsh on public drinking doesn't mention that black or white it just mm. so happens that the majority of people who are then charged with that crime happen to be black. black it's yeah. sy- systemically racist, even though it's not said to be racist in it. But, my, you know, the thing that I would say in response to what Bronman has written there, my first, I'll just repeat it again, the first part, the voice will simply be a group representing Indigenous people with which the government consult when developing legislation that affects Indigenous people. It presupposes that Indigenous people all think the same about issues. It's incredibly insulting to well, suggest that Indigenous people think the same. Yeah, Unless the from... voice is going to go, there are a just, range of views just, and this is one end and this is the other end and here yeah, is all and, the middle. And guess what? It, it probably very likely represents what the spectrum of Australians generally think. I just mm. think the idea is racist to suggest or to imply that black people will all think the same. And if they think well, differently, like the rest of the community, then isn't that what our elected leaders are doing at the mm. moment? And if you were wanting, you're worried about representation of voice, arguably Indigenous people are overrepresented in the parliament compared to the number of Indigenous people there are, and Asian people are underrepresented. If you're really worried about people having a voice because they're underrepresented, you'd actually have an Asian voice to Parliament because their voice isn't being heard. But then guess what? I don't think Asian people all think the same. So when you go and consult them, <laughs> you're just going to get a variety of different views. So this, this is – I can maintain a consistent approach to this whole matter and and that's where there's it's an It's been argued that women are under, underrepresented. Certainly, uh, not so much the, the Labor Party more because no. the, the Labor Party has got basically 50 50 now. So, yes, the Liberal Party definitely underrepresented by women. Mm. You know, mm. hello, Sharon. How are you? Mm. Mm. Right. So, that's some initial thoughts on the voice. We will have a more extensive talk about it at another time. Lydia Thorpe has got you thinking, anyway, has got a little bit of hesitation because of the sovereignty issue. Yeah, it just yeah. strikes anyway. me that it's possibly going to open up a can of worms. Mm. And Stan Grant, who, you know, used to, has really plummeted in my estimations of him recently, has mm. come out and said, he says, well, not all Indigenous people agree on the voice, but the one thing we all agree on is sovereignty. And I thought to myself, well, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah mm. exactly. It's just one of those things. It's Anyway. Anyway. Right. Scott Balloon, last week we spoke about the balloon that was shot down over the years. Yeah, that was a little bit of overkill, wasn't it? And since then, dear listener, three more objects have been shot down. One of them over Canada, I believe, but it's the Americans doing the shooting. And Mm. a lot of vague talk about what these objects actually are. They're sort of refusing to be too firm about what they are, probably because they're just simply weather balloons. And oh, they, well, well, what I heard was really it was weather, what they are. 
a weather balloon that was 300 foot wide. And it ended. Well, uh, well, is one I, of these 300 foot wide? I did not read that. Yeah. No, did, I didn't read that. We, no, no, we were sent a link. Really? Yes. With a 300 foot wide. Yeah, and and the, the payload was the size of a small jet. Oh, okay, the balloon was, okay. The balloon was yeah, 300 yeah, foot so, wide, yes, okay, and the payload yeah, yeah. was the size of a small jet. Right, which was the size of a bus or type thing we've heard about. Yeah. That was the first one, like, yeah, yes. I think, yeah. So, And apparently it wandered over missile silos. Yeah, but, you know, they're asking the in different press conferences where they're talking to the military and the military are saying, oh, you know, we, we can't really say at this point what the object was that we just shot down. So they're saying to them, well, how do you know that there wasn't somebody in it? Oh, well, it, it, it wasn't that sort of object. It was like, well, when your pilots looked at it before they pressed the trigger, you know, what did they describe it as? Oh, I don't have that information in front of me. Well, did it look oh, like... They'll, a, they'll, they'll have the, video. They'll know exactly just, what it is. They don't want the to say what it is. The fact that they're not saying is because the answer, the truth, is uncomfortable because it's just a simple... Oh, weather or, balloon or something. Or, so you don't really know that it wasn't a spy device. It could well have been a spy device. It could well have been a weather balloon. It was more than likely. It was more than likely a weather balloon. It'd be laid I, out I on a table the, for display if it was anything. Why do they use missiles and not a machine gun? That's what I. Like. I don't know. That was one of the things that I thought was ridiculous because they they came out and they said that no, they fired sidewinders at it, which is a, which is a missile. Which yeah. makes no sense because I agree with you. They should have just used machine guns in the in the front of their front of their jets to blow the blow the balloon apart. Well, isn't it easier just to launch a missile that is guided and you just that way you can't miss? It's kind of embarrassing. You fill it off a few rounds and miss, isn't it? <laughs> I suppose you know. Mm. It's one of those things. Yeah. I just thought that it was a hell of a beat up by the Republicans. I think Joe Biden was left with no choice but to shoot him down. Yeah, it just shows the insecurity of Americans. But David Frum is a conservative commentator. He said in a tweet, "If he shoots down one more balloon, Biden gets a giant stuffed Pikachu toy <laughs> from the concessionaire." Like that. And Scott, mm-hmm. not to be outdone by the US freaking out about a balloon, Australia mm-hmm. decided to remove China-made cameras from the War Memorial over concerns the devices could be used for spying. On the War Memorial? That seems a little OTT. So, you know, what if it was used for spying? (laughs) You know, it's not around our parliament or anything else. It's around the War Memorial, Well, which is a historical historical museum. So everything that was on display in the War Memorial – has already been talked about ad nauseum here in this country. It's been very much publicised by our historians. The Chinese already know exactly what the War Memorial is talking about. So, one... No, 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 it's where spies go to have their secret conversations because <laughs> no one else goes there. Yeah. I like the War Memorial. I've been there a few times, so it was really good. Anyway. How long ago was that? Uh, six or seven years ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, I, been, I, yeah, I quite liked it. You know. I think it, there's a lot of glorifying of war by the sounds of it and oh, shows off shiny no, toys and there sort is of no beats doubt about that. what a there wonderful no thing war is that. rather than what a tragic thing it is. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. 
Mm-hmm. Probably the most meaningful part of the whole trip was the, I forget what it's called, but it's that main alleyway where you've got all the names up in, I think it's bronze. Anyway, the wall with all the names. Of people who died fighting yeah. for Australia. Yeah, and you think to yourself, right. Jesus Christ, that's a hell of a lot of guys that have been killed. Mm-hmm. Now, the only good thing is that as you go through the War Memorial, you can see the numbers of... The, you can see the numbers of conflicts have gone up, but the casualties have gone down. So that is a good thing. But yeah. it's Ca- casualties on our side. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, well, that's right because you don't. The only ones that count. The rest mm. of Johnny Foreigner. <laughs> you know, make me sound like a real racist here, but you know, it's just one of those things. It's just uh, I understand where you're coming from, Trevor. There is a fair amount of glorification it's of it. Like you jingoistic, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it is a little bit jingoistic. I preferred the older stuff, like going through the Second War, the Second World War stuff, and the First World War was very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that was they've got an old. That's and that was a, that was a tank outside the front of the Queensland Museum. That was Mephisto, which was a German tank from the First World War, which was captured. Mm. Mm. They've got another one of them down there, and they've also got one of those Messerschmitt jets and that sort of stuff that's down do, there. Do, do you walk out of the War Memorial thinking to yourself, oh, man, we've got to make sure we never do that again? Oh, well, I do because I actually think like that. I I actually, because I walked out past all those names, so that was the last place I actually saw was all those names, and I just thought mm. to myself, we've got to do everything we can to make sure that we don't get involved in another scrap. Joe, you buy a Chinese security camera and you look at it and you've got no way of knowing whether this thing is secretly sending signals back to China. Like, have we got no capacity to look at these things and work uh, out well, if there's some? Usually they connect to a network and it would be across the network they're phoning home. So yeah. assuming they're behind a properly set up firewall, the chances are slim. Yes. And you couldn't look at inside the chips no. of these things. And oh, you could. You'd have, to, you'd have to destroy one right. and then you'd have to hope that you got the right one. I mean, there was right. the story of the motherboards that were being assembled in China and one of the chips was not what they thought it was and had some custom firmware built into it. Right. <laughs> and that was a scare about four or five years ago. Right. They yep. suddenly discovered these motherboards that have been putting computers all over the place had yeah. firmware installed by the Chinese factory yeah. that weren't on the original design specifications. Okay. So why why bother putting a virus out there if you can just hard literally solder uh, something into the motherboard? Absolutely. And, yeah. and look, the, the NSA were doing that to Cisco routers coming out of America. Right. Where certain places of interest were ordering routers through Cisco. That's right. They would be sidetracked during the shipping process. Cisco actually didn't have any knowledge of it. Oh, they were sh- really? Yeah, okay, no, yeah. They, were, they were moved to a third-party warehouse right. where custom firmware was installed. Right. Which yep. even if you upgraded to the latest and greatest version, the back door still remained because it was physically on chips that were on yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was more than happy to say to Huawei, when they were wanting to take over a 5G network, eh, sorry, guys, too much risk. Like, let's just got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. And, and again, uh, with, a, with critical infrastructure, 
that is very different to a consumer device. Mm. Yeah. So if, if someone can shut down your critical infrastructure, you can imagine Ukraine and it, in its current conflict, so much real-time intel is being passed by members of the populace back to military command with an app running on a smartphone. Yes. If the Russians had been able to just go throw the kill switch, all of that intel would have just gone. Mm. There was so much useful, yeah, basically the population. Yeah, just and, the civilian infrastructure would be yeah. leaking so much information. And already they're targeting power stations and yeah, mm. heating things. Mm. You, you don't want to give your enemy the ability to cripple your means of production. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's happened here locally. There's a tweet by someone called Go Lip, which said, not to miss out on the frenzy over spyware fears, the Australian Customs Service decides to ban all imports of Chinese-made party balloons. Yes. <laughs> just, my my just guess is it's a choking hazard for small children or something. Mm. Was that the Batuta advocate? No, no, it's just some, some tweet. Okay. Right. Scott, before I launch into Nord Stream and Seymour Hirsch, yeah. do you want to say anything about China, like just <laughs> generally, in my views I've expressed over the last two, three years? I, I think th- you are probably ignoring the fact that you're dealing with an autocratic society that is a very much a top-down command country which you do exactly as the leadership tells you or you find yourself in a Chinese gulag. And it's one of those things that I just feel that you are just a little bit too flippant with it. That's my major criticism of you. (laughs) Because, and is is China unusual in that or is it just like every other superpower? It depends. Like, you know, the United States, yes, apart from Guantanamo Bay, you do have, you know, a very large adult population in the prison system, but you don't have a systematic, well, I suppose you could actually argue that it is systematic, that you do have denial of bail. So it's, yeah, it is fairly brutal, but it's not as bad as the, as the, Political um, control that they have in China. You can call Trump a Cheeto without being sent to prison, whereas exactly, whereas call you can Xi call Winnie a, the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, you can go to prison. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. It's uh, it's very brutal, and I find it really disgusting that they have no knowledge of what happened in June nineteen eighty nine. You know, they, and, and the local um, yeah, yeah yes, the local that, population that, doesn't get told that. And is that unusual in That's the latest thing. <laughs> if you suspect that the scammer that is contacting you is Chinese, then you make references to June 1989 and the monitoring software on their internet connection shuts them down. <laughs> really? That's, Apparently. Yeah. That sounds like... Yes, urban legend? But, yeah, no, it sounds like, sounds, like, sounds like an urban urban legend myself, but it's just one of those things. I, I find that really quite disturbing that they have got no clue what happened in June 1989. Mm. Now, you know, there are all sorts of arguments that the, the speech that Bob Hawke gave was full of errors and that type of thing. 
I don't know what the truth was, but certainly a hell of a lot more happened than what the Chinese government is prepared to admit and possibly less than less happened than what the what the democracy protesters actually were arguing for, what actually happened. Mm. It's one of those things. It's I don't know where the truth lies, but the truth lies somewhere between those two points. Oh, well, you if know, that's your only complaint about what I've been saying, Scott, then that's not too bad. You're no, pretty it's not much too bad. I do You're think pretty much that, full um, with me, if that's the case. No, not really. I, <laughs> I can't go through everything. You know, I'd have to go back right through my original notes to find the original arguments. But, you know, it's just one of those things. I think that I think someone's got to explain to the CCP that they actually won that civil war and that Taiwan is now an independent country that, lives on its own, it's developed its own democracy. It is independent of the People's Republic of China and it's got to be respected as an independent country. But they're never going to accept that, are they? You know, they honestly believe that it's all part of the 100 years of humiliation that they've got to actually, they've got to actually take Taiwan back to reverse the 100 years of humiliation. Mm. You know, now it wasn't enough that, you know, you know it's certainly they, they took back Hong Kong, they took back Macau, which is fine because they were they were leased to foreign powers. And it's just, I didn't have a problem with them going back. It's mm. just Taiwan. It's, that is a very different story. It is, in, it is, it is now an independent country. It, mm. They speak the same language. They virtually have exactly the same food. But I think that China would should would do well to understand that Taiwan is now an independent country, and I believe that what would be very good is if someone could actually force them to the table and say, "You've actually you got to sit down, you've got to talk to your brethren Chinese. You've actually got to extend the hands of friendship and, and that and, sort of thing." And, and they've got to and stop the, the horrible things that are happening. Why? What are you going to ask now? <laughs> well, what horrible things are happening? Nothing. Well, okay, China. Like nothing. Uh, like what? What is the terrible thing that's happening? Is China simply saying we reckon it's still part of China and we're not giving up on it? And well, that's yeah. They like, it's do not, shoot at it from time to time, don't they? Yeah, they, no, they do they actually don't. shoot. They, they do. They don't actually no, shoot don't. at the country, but they do actually shoot. They do actually shoot it's inside enormous. their territorial waters. It's just a... It's not, hang on, but weren't they shelling islands off the coast? Is, is it, I couldn't tell you about that. There's enormous cooperation between the two countries. People move from Taiwan to China on business mm-hmm. and work mm-hmm. all the time. I agree. Like, all they've done is said, we still think you're part of China, but they haven't mm-hmm. actually done anything nasty. No. Have they? But... There is an argument that the so, that the whole military operation where they keep encroaching on Taiwan, pulling back at the last second, it could be, it has been argued before that it is a setup for them to get used to it so that when the day comes that they're just going to not stop, they're going to roll over them. So they're preparing now, military exercises so yeah. they should stop doing that. Well, it certainly looks like they're preparing to invade, but what? you don't know whether or not they are. What the fuck like, is this? <laughs> I've got some iCloud thing that's come over you too. Hang on a second. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, no, I can't see you right now. So it's, you know, it's it's my Chinese friends and their 
Yeah, the they could be trying to shut me up. In. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they could be trying could to shut me up. You never know. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. It's just that I, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know, all, all they've done is said we still claim that island. Yeah, and they've done they can, nothing else. Right, they've done nothing bad to, to Taiwan. No, not. They haven't imposed yet. any sanctions. They allow people free to move between the to the island. It's just a statement. Like eventually, Taiwan will come back into the fold when economically they see it as advantageous. That's what well, I. You know, if it is seen as if it is ever seen as advantageous. Now, you know that is right now. China, the Republic of China has got the virtual monopoly on the manufacture of chips. Sorry, who has? Well, the Republic of China, Taiwan, right, does have that virtual monopoly on it. Yeah, but you were saying you know, that earlier. Taiwan is officially the Republic of China, and, yeah, and the China is Republic of, the People's, People's Republic, Republic of, China. of China. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that yeah, but the chip superiority is coming to a close. Yes, so. it is. There's no doubt about that. Like the Yanks have already started to manufacture their own chips, and the Chinese yeah. are looking at acquiring the equipment, that sort of stuff, to manufacture their own chips too. Mm. So you know that will probably be the end of Taiwan as a functioning. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have time to talk about China over the coming weeks and months, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I think you've been listening to too much Monty Python. Why, what's Monty Python got to do with this? I like Chin- Chinese. Yeah, that's. Oh, I don't have my soundboard here. No. Yes. Ah, where am I? Okay, Nord Stream. Mm. Okay, I've got to get another beer before you get started on that. Hang on a second. All right. All right. Well, Scott, you do that. Scott's getting a beer. <laughs> While he's doing that, I'll fill in with just some other administrative stuff. Let's see. Yes, go to the website. Oh, by the way, dear listener, so this, I, I edit the audio on the podcast episode to chop out the ums and ers using a thing called Descript. And it's a little bit rough on the edges, but I think it's worth it. If you want to hear the ums and ers, then watch the YouTube version of the show because that doesn't get edited. So that's something you can think about. And people who contribute through... Patreon, they get the show notes through the Patreon system. If you are a donor through PayPal, then I put the notes into a Dropbox. And if you're not getting access to those and you'd like that, then let me know and I'll organise it for you. So, right. So Seymour Hirsch, also known as Cy Hirsch, came out with an article in his Substack, which was basically telling a story of somebody who was, in Seymour Hersh's words, intimately connected with the whole affair, as to how America actually went about blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines and that it was America who did it through a concerted effort. And so we're going to talk about what he revealed and... uh, It's Team America that went in. Yes. (laughs) And so, you know... What does he say and can you believe what he said and what does it all mean? That's a good framework of where we're headed with this one. But we need a little bit of a recap about just to set the scene as to what America was saying in the uh, basically when Russia invaded Ukraine and what was America saying about the Nord Stream pipeline at that point. And you're going to hear from Toria Newland, who was the number two at the State Department, and you're going to hear from 
Joe Biden about this. So I'll just play this tape. Here we go. I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. If Russia invades, that means tanks or troops crossing the, the, the border of Ukraine again, then there will be, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But, but how, will you, how will you do that exactly? Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control, we will. I promise you, we'll be able. To- he was very confident. She was very confident. And at the time, I'm looking at it. I'm going, why would you say that unless you thought that you were actually going to blow it up yourself? Like, how can these people say that that they were bringing in to Nord Stream? with such confidence, other than if they intend to blow it up themselves. There is no explanation when you hear those words other than, yeah, they were planning to blow it up. So right from the get-go, they're pretty much seemingly admitting that that's what they're up to. Anyway, oh, actually, and I've just got one more clip here that I'll play before we start talking about things. Let's see this one here. Yeah, and this is when Nord Stream was blowing up and the Russians said, well, clearly it wasn't us. This is Joe Biden. It was a deliberate act of sabotage, and now the Russians are pumping out disinformation. (laughs) In hindsight, what a just a lying character. Uh, Okay, Seymour Hirsch, who is he? So from Wikipedia... Born in 1937 and an American investigative journalist and famous for exposing, is it Me Lie? My, Me Lie? Massacre? Uh, my Lie, I thought. My yeah. Lie. Um, in Vietnam, was it? Yeah. yeah. yeah and the cover-up of that, which basically was one of the contributing, major contributing factors to ending the Vietnam War. And his other major one was the Abu Ghraib prison and the mistreatment of detainees. He's got a really so he's distinguished... A trainer, basically. Yes. Not afraid to spell it out. So for the Vietnam story, he won the 1970 Pulitzer Prize for international reporting. And Maybe the he, Swedes can extradite him. Yes. Yes. Put him in, Julian. Belmarsh, he also, yes. He won two National Magazine Awards and five George Polk Awards, and he received the George Orwell Award. And... When you think about living journalists who have revealed big stories, he's right up there as possibly the yeah, most but he's accomplished. He's old and now. Yes, <laughs> he's buying into conspiracy theories in his dotage. Yes, if, for example, you were an insider to the plotting of the blowing up of Nord Stream. And say, for example, I don't know, that you were pissed about it because you saw it as a breach of ethics and law and everything that you thought America should stand for and doesn't anymore. Or, or and if you, you wanted... read his story and you're upset that the president was a big mouth about your secret military operation. No, you're not going to be upset about that because that was actually helpful. But we'll come back to that. You know, if you're wanting to spill the beans and leak a story... 
on the entire planet, probably the first person you would go to would be Seymour Hirsch, I would have thought. Is there any other journalist that you might have gone Glenn to? Greenwald? So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you had that sort of story, he's the guy that you would go to. It makes perfect sense that he would be the one releasing the story. So that's that point of view. And already what you've got is, you know, minnows in the media trying to portray Seymour Hirsch as some sort of nutbag who can't be trusted and he's a renegade and really trying to downgrade his reputation. So don't believe the story because Seymour Hirsch is an idiot. That sort of stuff is already going out there. In fact, on his Wikipedia page, very shortly after he broke the story, somebody went in to edit it and put in the first paragraph that he was a conspiracy theorist. And since then, that has been re-edited. And so, yeah, that's the sort of thing that happens even to somebody like Cy Hirsch is working on his reputation so that people won't believe what he's reporting. So, and even like the Business Insider newspaper had a headline like this, which was, the claim by a discredited journalist that the US secretly blew up the Nord Stream pipeline is proving a gift to Putin. So... Calling him, a dis- yes. calling him a discredited journalist and claiming that this is just a gift to Putin. So pay no attention to it. And so Hirsch's response to the smear campaign is, I've been told my stories were wrong, invented, outrageous for as long as I can remember, but I've never stopped. In 2004, after I published the first stories about the torture of Iraqi prisoners at Abu Ghraib, a Pentagon spokesman responded by calling my journalism a tapestry of nonsense. He also said I was a guy who threw a lot of crap against the wall. I won my fifth George Polk Award for that work. So probably a sign that he is on the right track is the smear campaign. And the other thing before you get into the detail of what he said was he released it on his Substack. So, dear listener, Substack is kind of like medium. It's sort of like a place for people to blog and you subscribe and pay money in a Patreon sort of way. So as Craig Murray says, it's a clear indication of the disappearance of freedom from our so-called Western democracies that Cy Hirsch, arguably the greatest living journalist, cannot get this monumental revelation on the front of the Washington Post or the New York Times, but has to self-publish on the net. So that is a thing, like a really well-respected journalist breaking one of the biggest stories for years has to be done in a blog and isn't done in a mainstream. Yeah, but, you know, the important news is who had sex with who on Merit at First Sight. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So that's the sort of lead up to it. What did he actually report? It's quite a long, lengthy article, as you can imagine, but here's the the nub of it is that the U.S. Navy's Diving and Salvage Centre can be found in Florida. The centre has been training highly skilled deep water divers for decades. Last June, the Navy divers, operating under the cover of a NATO exercise, planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed the Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. And he goes on, there was a 
vital bureaucratic reason for relying on graduates of the centre's hardcore diving school, divers were, the divers were Navy only, not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress and briefed in advance to the Senate and House leadership, the so-called Gang of Eight. So they purposefully used Navy divers so that it wouldn't be reported to Congress if this is what would happen if they were using special operations. Okay, what else does he say here? So the uh, Norwegians were complicit? Yes, so I'll get on to that. So America had real fears about Nord Stream. Putin would have an additional and much-needed major source of income and Germany and the rest of Western Europe would become addicted to low-cost natural gas supplied by Russia while diminishing European reliance on America. So he sets up reasons why financially and strategically America didn't want Germany and the rest of Europe getting cheap gas from Russia. And so he sort of sets up reasons for that, skipping through a bit. So... In December of 2021, two months before the Russians' tanks rolled into the Ukraine, Jake Sullivan convened a meeting of a new task force. Men and women from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the CIA, State and Treasury Departments, and asked for recommendations about how to respond to Putin's impending invasion. And it became clear to participants that they wanted the group to come up with a plan for the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines because this was something that the president really wanted. And over the next few weeks, members of the CIA working group began to craft a plan for covert operation that would use deep-sea divers. And so throughout all this scheming, some working guys in the CIA and the State Department were saying, don't do this, it's stupid, and will be a political nightmare if it comes out. Nevertheless, they kept going ahead. They figured out a way to blow up the pipelines and essentially, when there was a NATO exercise going on, that gave them a great excuse to have all sorts of naval equipment and divers rummaging around in that area where they put these bombs onto the pipelines. And they didn't want them to blow up immediately. They decided they needed to be able to use a trigger and blow them up at some other time. When, So it wouldn't be obvious that it was done just after they were in the area. So it was about three months' time between when they attached the bombs and when they were eventually blown up. And they were able to blow them up by flying over the pipeline, dropping a buoy, which would emit a signal, which would then cause the bombs to explode. And it says here that Normo was the perfect place to plan the mission because the US military had expanded its presence inside Norway and the Supreme Commander of NATO is Jens Stoltenberg, who served as Norway's Prime Minister. And uh, basically Norway was a good group. They could be trusted to keep it secret, had superb sailors and... The destruction of Nord Stream, if the Americans could pull it off, would allow Norway to sell vastly more of its own natural gas to Europe. So <coughs> I think we mentioned last week, qui bono, who benefits? If you're not sure of who's behind something, ask yourself, well, who would have benefited from this action? And 
that all lines up with the qui bono theory as well. So Norway likely, you know, well, in this article, Cypher is just saying they helped and they had technical expertise in diving. They knew the area and they had financial reasons for wanting it to happen as well. So let's see what else he's got here. It was the timing, said all that, and remote detonation. And oh, now it's about the story when he was letting it out that I've got to find that bit. You mentioned, Joe, that they would have been annoyed that Joe Biden basically said we're going to, we have the capacity to stop the pipeline, which was sort of giving Mm -hmm. the game away. And According to this article, that did cause surprise and annoyance initially, but it actually worked to their advantage because it meant that it was no longer a covert operation because they'd more or less admitted to what they were doing and were therefore not bound by certain rules relating to covert operations. So let me just try and find... Scott, make some comments on that while I'm trying to find this section. Got any thoughts on Nord Stream and the Yanks? Do you believe the story? What's your impression of it? Well, I would have hoped that the Yanks wouldn't do it, but it wouldn't surprise me that they did. It's the you know, it's like I was saying to the other day, they're the only ones that have got the ability to do it. I hadn't I hadn't known anything about the Norwegians, but you know, that wouldn't surprise me either. It it's possible the Yanks did it. There's no doubt about that. But would they have actually done it? I don't know. If Donald Trump was still in the White House, I'd say, yes, they did do it. Do I believe Joe Biden did it? I don't know. He's certainly, he certainly got the ability to do it. But so you're, st- you're still doubting the veracity of the story, basically. <sighs> you think it, it's just one it, of those things. That it does seem so incredible that it is just one of those things that you've really got to think long and hard about but it is one of those things that i i don't know it's a possibility that it's right i yeah. think it's all the russians fault because <sighs> had russians, it not been for the russians if the russians had up, never invaded ukraine none no, of this no, no. would have happened no no if they hadn't stoked up fear about nuclear power back in the 60s and 70s germany would never have shut down its nuclear power stations they wouldn't need the russian gas and therefore, the Germans, the Germans shut down the nuclear power stations because of Fukushima more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not just a big fan get of back to this bit. I, I just want to tell this bit that I was trying to find. I, I found the bit. So, yeah. where we had Newland and we had Joe Biden basically saying one way or another, Nord Stream's going to finish, and the reporters mm. going, "Well, how are you doing that? You don't control it. It's under German control." And they're going, "Don't worry about it." It's not going to happen. So in this article, it says, several of those involved in planning the pipeline mission were dismayed by what they viewed as indirect references to the attack. Biden and Newland's indiscretion, if that is what it was, might have frustrated some of the planners, but it also created an opportunity. According to the source, some of the senior officials of the CIA determined that blowing up the pipeline, quote, no longer could be considered a covert option because the president just announced that we knew how to do it. The plan to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2 was suddenly downgraded from a covert operation requiring that Congress be informed to one that was deemed as a highly classified intelligence operation with US military support. Under the law, the source explained, there was no longer a legal requirement to report the operation to Congress. All they had to do now 
is just do it. It still had to be secret. That's interesting. I find that part really interesting. Well, obviously it wasn't secret. Hmm. Well, lots of, it cut out a lot of people finding out. Still, obviously, people had to know who were in the planning of it, but just reduce the numbers. I found that part really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. You know, like I said, I hope Biden didn't do it, but it wouldn't surprise me that he did. Who do you think did it, if not the Americans? I don't know. Someone. <laughs> who would be your next choice, if not the Americans? Okay. Well, who, who, who could know, possibly? Because the Yanks the are the only ones that could actually pull it off. Now the you know if if that if that's right if the Norwegians were were pissed off with the with the Russian gas too, then they would probably have the ability to do that. But the Yanks are the only ones that have got the explosives and that type of thing to actually go ahead with it. I don't know. Maybe the Norwegians have got the ability to blow it up, but potentially. Um, but the thought of Norway blowing up a Russian pipeline without consulting America, <laughs> yeah, it does seem it does seem somewhat far fetched. You know, it's, the thing that gets me about this whole thing mm-hmm. is people have the temerity to say, oh, Russia did it. It, it defies all logic. No, because all Russia's Russia got to do is it. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anybody who said, oh, the Russians did it, has to be immediately discredited. if They're talking another language. So it can only be America and possibly the world's most suitable journalist for revealing the story has revealed a story that on the face of it lines up and look, stranger stranger things have happened, I guess. Maybe this guy's bullshitting Cy Hurst and it didn't pan out that way, but I'd put a reasonable sum of money on that being the truth myself. I can't see any other explanation. Yeah, and, but you're very anti-American though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because look, Caitlin Johnston agrees with me, Scott. She wrote an article and she said, my sources also corroborate Seymour Hersh's report that the US was behind the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage. And her sources are logic, common sense and public statements by US government officials. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, I know. Ah. Okay. I didn't I was gonna put in something here about Joe Biden and the State of the Union speech. Did you see it at all? If you didn't see it, I'll move on. I did see part of it. Mm. He apparently performed very well. You know, he's yeah, he often looks quite dottery and senile. Oh, he's far he, too old for the job. <laughs> but in the State of the Union speech, I don't know what drugs he was on, but he was quite lucid. Yes, he mm. was. So he put on quite a good performance and there's talk of him going for a second term on the back of that. So, boy. They're only pilots anyway. Yes, indeed, of the oligarchs. Yeah. So I mentioned Ron DeSantis last week and I came across, look, I don't even know much about Ron DeSantis, but you know much about him, Scott? He's a crazy right-wing nut job. He was... An acolyte of Donald Trump, he's he's spending his state's money on shipping immigrant illegal immigrants to the blue states. And, you know, he's just a nut. He's, uh, uh, and he's yeah. also, he was actually being investigated for kidnapping. Really? Because potentially he lied to the migrants to get them onto a plane. They flew them to Martha's Vineyard. 
yeah. and then dumped them in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Uh, and basically it was moving people across state lines under false pretenses. And yeah. so they, there's a criminal investigation being opened up. Oh, this doesn't <laughs> sound right. This doesn't sound right because Prophet Charlie had some good things to say about DeSantis. I'll just really? show you some of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was also... We need to watch Ron DeSantis because the Lord is going to use him in a powerful way. Mm. I had had several years ago a vision that I went into where I saw two palm trees. Look at that hair. And I saw <laughs> one of them was planted in California, the other one in Florida. And I said, Lord, who are, who, what is this, these two palm trees? He said, this palm tree from California is Ronald Reagan. This palm tree that is in Florida is Ron DeSantis. He said, Ron DeSantis or Ronald DeSantis Mm -hmm. is the second, has an anointing similar to Ronald Reagan. And I saw Ron DeSantis as a, as a tree of righteousness, that palm tree. And I saw it uprooted from Florida and brought Mm. to Washington, D.C. and planted in Washington, D.C. And as the storms came, he was not moved. That's right. There's there's something about Ron DeSantis that we need to begin to pray for. We need to begin to look at because his ultimate future is to have a position in the United States as the president and be planted in Washington, D.C., and he would be like a Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And you doubt that a country that produces that can, can bomb a Nord Stream pipeline. It just, it, I, <sighs> they're good how they can do this with a straight face. It would be interesting to know whether this guy really knows the shit he's talking or whether he's swallowed his own well, kool It was Backer, wasn't it? Was the host? I don't know. Oh, I, I the hair on that believe, guy. Yeah, but I cannot believe they're still. You know, after everything we know about Ronald Reagan, mm. you cannot believe that anyone with a straight face would say that he was a brilliant president. You know, mm. he. You know, mm. I know he stood up to the Russians, but you know, he was a nut. <laughs> See. Scott, you don't have to throw people into gulags when you can control minds in this way. It's... Yeah, I know, but it's... Anyway, I'm just... I, had that, I had that there for a bit of comic relief, but I think you're finding it too depressing. It is a little depressing because Ron DeSantis is also that fucking idiot that's gone through and he's, you know, he's the one that's behind the don't say gay bill and all that type of thing, mm. you know, where he's actually trying to... Doctor the what's the word I'm groping for? He's trying to doctor the education system to actually. He's also opposed to critical race theory and all that type of thing. It's right. just, you know. And there was a beautiful meme that I saw today on Instagram. It was that little black girl. She was surrounded by yeah. white. Sorry, hang on. It sounded like you were against critical race theory earlier on with the uh, with the indigenous discussion. But sorry, keep keep going. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Critical race theory, I don't have a problem with it in the United States. I don't have a problem with it in Australia either. I just think that sovereignty and that type of thing has got to be explained to us before we actually bite off more than we can chew. Now. Yeah, sorry, I've diverted you, sorry. No, it's okay. The uh, And he's he's just opposed to all that type of thing, that he's actually trying to, and there's this, sorry, there's this beautiful thing I saw today on Instagram. There's a little black girl, she was surrounded by white federal marshals when it was during the desegregation of schools. 
Mm. And it said, if this little girl can live it, then there's no reason why your little girl can't learn about it. Yes. You know, and that is very true. Mm. Hey, Scott, are you all for protecting our native species against imported predatory species that are sort of causing them to suffer? Well, I suppose so. Why? Yeah. <laughs> I was setup. too. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was just thinking. About. I, Indigenous I, I was, people. I was, white I, was people. In, I was in favour of protecting native species as well until yeah. I saw this. Australians love native animals. They're unique oh, and bring Christ. us joy. We've had a sad invasion. Feral animals who destroy. The Centre for Invasive Species Solution needs some help. Let's think of our environment. Aussie wildlife pain is felt. One versus more than another. There's a special group invasion species solutions trust. A philanthropic opportunity help native animals are must. Philanthropic and corporate partners are invited to join in. Folks environmentalist primary producers help them win. He's up for it. Yeah! It is a national issue. CISS really cares. With new tools and good products, invasive species won't be there. Our- is that the uh, <laughs> Governor General's wife? Yes. It's, it's like a school concert, isn't it? Everyone no, just goes, wow, isn't good. your child special? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything with the Governor General, she gets she trots herself out and gives a speech in that format. People have to listen to it. Yeah, I thought it was a setup so, with the the native species were going to be the indigenous people, and the no. invasive species were going to be white people. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> the the that need direction. eradicating to allow the, the the native species to flourish. No, I wasn't heading in that direction. Just not, isn't she? Yeah. So we first She's came special, across her. I think. Yeah, we first came across her. Because she would, in the morning, she would exercise <laughs> with her hula hoop while, while reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So we can joke about American leadership, but that's what we've got going here. Oh, look, a final one coming to the end here. Scott, have you ever had an MRI? Yes, I have had an MRI because mm. I might as well tell the listeners, and this also goes out to Sharon too, I was relatively recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So I got sent off for an MRI and that type of thing. I went to the doctor and I said, I'm having some difficulty swallowing. And she said, okay, I'll send you off for this brain scan, which they did. And they just found a lesion on the base of my brain. They said, well, he's got a lesion here. We better send him up for an MRI to find out how many lesions he's got. Well, bloody hell, I did have quite a few lesions. I had six or seven of them at that stage. And they they did the full brain MRI and spinal MRI. And I went down to see a neurologist in Brisbane and I got told that I had, I had NS. You'd and already self-diagnosed via Dr. Google? I was self-diagnosed via Dr. Google because I, I got the brain scan and I was just, I typed in the message from the radiologist into dog, Dr. Google and Dr. Google said that it was MS. Hmm. So I said that to a neurologist and he said, well, he says, having seen your scans and being a neurologist, he says, I think that's what you've got. So, yeah, I have had an MRI. I've got another MRI that I just booked today in May. So mm-hmm. 
Hmm. I'll go and have one of them every six months until two years is up, and then after that, I'll be going there once a year for an MRI. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there. Well, thank you for adding to the diversity of this podcast because no we were just a we were just a Crohn's disease uh, podcast, <laughs> but now we can add MS. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's our di- means of diversity on this podcast. Well, considering we're just three too, white. So. Yeah, that's right. And regional, <laughs> and you're a um, Queensland slumlord as well. So yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite a slumlord up here yet. I've, I've bought my, I've just rented my place out in Mackay, and you know, if I still, if if I still like my job in six months, and the job still likes me, then I'll buy something up here too. So, okay. Well, can you get an MRI in Rockhampton? Yes, I can. Okay, just be careful. Don't take your gun into the MRI machine because no. God, <laughs> a lawyer in Brazil ignored orders to remove all metal objects from his person while accompanying his mother. For an MRI scan. The strong magnetic field pulled the gun from his waistband and it discharged at the same time, eventually killing him. Oh, shit. Yeah. So yeah, don't take a gun into an MRI. No, I won't be taking a gun anywhere. <laughs> I found a YouTube video of, and they were dismantling an old MRI and they said to the medical students, have at it. You've got a couple of hours Throw whatever you like into the MRI and see what happens. <laughs> I think they've eventually got an office chair dangling on a rope, right? Being pulled towards the MRI, right? Yeah, just to show the strength of the magnet on it. Yeah. So, so there we go. All right. Look, I had another article there, but that's not going to fit in really. So, I think we'll call it a night at this stage. Welcome back, Scott. Good Thank you very you. much, Trevor. It's good to be well, back. We'll explore all of your thoughts in more detail later on. <laughs> Thank you in the chat room. Essential Lord Don says he's pre-diabetic, so I add that to the list. <laughs> pre-diabetic? What's? You're okay. borderline diabetic. You're not okay. quite oh, over okay. the threat. Okay. And John Simmons says, good luck, champion, to you, Scott. All right. I'll be fine. Thanks, John. Everything's mm. good. I Actually, I did have my... Second MRI after my first infusion, and they show that the three holes, which were all concerned, they are all much smaller than what they were originally. So that is the absolute best result I could have expected. Mm-hmm. The result I was hoping for was that there was going to be no movement either way, but I got an I got an excellent result. So I would just have to wait and see what this next MRI in May turns up. Because after that, I go in and talk to the I talk to the neurologist again via Zoom, and I find out then whether or not the holes are still the same size or whether they're a little bit smaller. Anyway, we'll have to wait and see. Well, after this podcast, Scott, I can diagnose that you are currently operating on all cylinders intellectually. <laughs> so. After listening to the GG's wife, your mm, yeah, brain holes have got larger. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We've all developed a few brain holes. <laughs> Yeah, I cannot believe that woman won't even. Does she is she not self aware of just how fucked in the head she sounds? No, ah. that's yeah, that's it. I remember seeing one of those, and you know, the singing shows, The Voice, or something like that. Oh yeah, actually, it was a dancing one. Yeah. It, might have been. it was either a dancing or a singing one, and this girl did this performance where she was just terrible, like really terrible. I think it might have been a dancing one, and the judges just said thumbs down. And she said, 
am I one of those people who doesn't know how bad they are? And the judge just said, that's right, you're one of those. And she's like, oh. <laughs> At least she had and some self-awareness. She had enough self-awareness to think she might have been in that category, yeah. So, Right. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, everyone, in the chat room. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. See you then. Bye now. And it's a good night from him.